Kalina, so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I am super excited to talk to you today, and I'm sure you don't really need an introduction. Like, I think everybody pretty much knows who you are. But um, before we dive into talking about social media and marketing stuff, I'd love it if you could just give everyone like a little bit of a lay of the land, like what you do, what your mission is, and like your sales outlets, business model, that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm Delana Bercompass. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so West Coast, um, Vancouver, Washington, not Canada. A lot of people think Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, Canada is six hours for me, but <laughs> Washington, United States. Um, I farm on half an acre. It's a very urban location. Um, my future plans are to move um, some somewhere with more land, but right now it's half an acre, I squeeze as much as I possibly can into so my paths, well, farmers would say I don't have paths. That's how small they are. Um, <laughs> and I would tend to agree. They're not really paths. They're more like, you know, oh, there's six inches where I didn't plant flowers. That's the definition there. That's pretty tight. Um, it is pretty tight. Um, I primarily, I've, I've done a lot of different things. I started out with purely cut flower bouquets, but um, as I've honed in on what I love and what works with uh, my size property and my family, I focus primarily now on the spring flower market, like cut flowers, um, education, and dahlia tubers. And those are my three um, income streams. And like the prongs that I really focus in on. Um, yeah, my my goal and my vision overall is to help more people grow flowers. I have a really big passion for people to discover the joy of growing a garden for themselves. So I kind of combine the farming aspect while also teaching gardening, which as you know, as a farmer, those are two different things. Like farming is not gardening. But, um, so I, I approach both of those on my Instagram and, um, I use both terms pretty frequently because I'm trying to reach two different audiences. Yeah. And it seems like you do a pretty good job of that. I was just actually on your Instagram right before we hopped on and saw that you have like 275,000 followers or something like that. That's crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) I agree. Um, yeah, that wasn't. That wasn't honestly the goal when I started at all. And I would still say it's not the goal. It's like I, but I want to put a lot of quality content out there that actually helps people. Um, I try and steer clear of controversial topics because um, my approach is more is that I want to unite as many people around their love of growing rather than Mm -hmm. divide over um, like specific ways or like, you know, different things. Um, because I think that like, that is what flowers and gardening does is it can and does unite us because we might have different belief systems or we might do things differently, but we can all agree that the beauty is beautiful. Like it's there. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I feel like whenever I go on Instagram, all I see is like division in this divisive thing over stupid things like gardening like who cares but I know be on someone's Instagram page and they'll talk about I don't know just the way that they like plant their dahlias and there's like 10 people in the comment section being like you're wrong you're ruining the planet like 
all this crazy stuff. And so the fact that you are very much welcoming, like a peaceful, helpful environment within your social media is great because the world does not need more of that other stuff. No, I agree. And I absolutely have (laughs) like my favorite ways of doing things, but I also 100% accept that that doesn't mean that it's the only way to do something. Um, You know, I like, for example, I'm a no-till farmer. I don't till. I know plenty of friends and other farmers who till and have amazing, beautiful farms. Yeah, so it's there's like, a million different ways. There's, there's different ways of doing stuff. They all work. We all kind of have our opinion on what's best. Sometimes it comes down to pragmatics. It's like what actually works for your life, you know, um, mm. and the resources that you have available. So, you yeah. know, I just try and keep all of that in mind in um, how I approach content and how I approach my own garden as well and like farm. Yeah. Absolutely. So when did you start your, like, did you always have a garden? And then did you start your business, like, all of a sudden? Or did it sort of gradually happen? No, the only, I kind of grew up in the middle of a forest. So um, I kept trying to grow things. I always wanted to grow a garden. I was very interested in berries. Um, But my sister had goats. So (laughs) Not only were we in the middle of the forest, but I'm not kidding. It's that every year, you know, I would have all these blueberry bushes and I would tend them. And then like right before they were, the berries got ripe, the goats would get out and they would just eat them down. (laughs) And like after four years of that, I was like, forget it. I'm not trying. I'm not going to keep trying. Not worth Um, it. (laughs) So I definitely, I always had like that, you know, inner desire to grow, but I wouldn't say that I grew anything. And then when I got married, the one plant that I did really love were roses. So I always grew roses. Every rental house we had, I would plant roses and I would, I would leave them there when we moved. So roses were like my gateway plant into the flower world. <laughs> but I didn't really start the cut flowers until um, end of 2019. And I was mm-hmm. recovering from, I had had my fourth baby that year. Um, I had a lot of well, I've, I had chronic depression since I was 13, but there were a lot of, um, extended family issues and just things in my life that just made it way worse. So that year it was pretty dang bad to the point where, um, a lot of my friends were saying, you really should just go to therapy, go see someone like, please. Um, because I was kind of just a shell of who I was. So yeah. I did that, but the simultaneously, I also just, I found Florette and I was like, oh, like that just was like something that actually sparked interest in me when there was a point, like, I don't know if you've ever dealt with depression, but it it's kind of like, there's no color and like even the stuff that you like, like there's nothing. So the thought of growing flowers sparked interest in me in a time when there was like, I had no interest in anything. Mm-hmm. So I really pushed into that. And 2019, I had like seed tray, like those Costco trays just full of seedlings in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I accidentally bought the pink grow light. So <laughs> my kitchen looked like this, <laughs> like this pink grow tent. Uh, <laughs> it was really weird. 
<laughs> and I don't recommend those because it, it just really is like it's off-putting to look at pink grow lights. I got it's a little harsh. <laughs> it is. I got blackout curtains and like put them around the shelves after a little bit because I couldn't stand that. But anyway, I grew those through 2019. Like I started them all way too early, you know. But um, 2020 was like my first hobby year of growing. Mm-hmm. But whenever I dive into something, I just go headlong straight into it. I'm a little bit obsessive that way. So middle 2020, I was like, I love this. Like, I want to make this a business. And then I just started um, planning on how to make it a successful business. Because to, to me, um, a hobby is fine. But if I'm going to try and make a business, it has to pay for itself at least. Yes. But I wanted more than that. So I just started setting out goals on how can I make that happen. So really, this is my, I would consider 2021 my first full official business year. So this would be, I'm finishing up my third um, official business year. Fourth year growing though. Awesome. So it's really only been three or four years since you got bit by the flower bug Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you've accomplished a lot in that time. And it's sounds like it's really made a hugely positive impact on your life in all kinds of facets. Oh yeah. 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 It definitely has. I think that's what flowers appeal to so many people because of that. And a lot of people want to start this business because they probably feel in some way the way that you did and see how life-changing it can be. But then a lot of people that I have seen, at least in my area, they start growing flowers and they love it and it's amazing. But then you hit like your first few roadblocks that come Mm -hmm. with farming and everyone's like, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that first bug apocalypse or your first like crazy weather event that like destroys a bunch of stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or you get a bunch of diseased plants in or something. Uh, Like there's always something that happens, but um, have you experienced anything like that? (laughs) I mean, yes, for sure. Um, You just keep going and it's fine. I I do. Um, I don't, I've touched on my upbringing a little bit. I wouldn't, like there were good parts and bad parts. Um, Overall, I don't have a ton of positive memories about it. It was a very high control environment with not a lot of creative freedom. But one thing that it did teach me was um, the, just pushing through. Um, Like pushing through hard stuff, working really hard, um, being fine with working really hard, which I feel like is not a problem with a ton of people, but I think a lot of people don't realize how hard you actually have to physically work as a farmer. It's not this pretty glamorous job. It's dirty. It's muddy. It's you're going out when it's snowed to brush off tunnels when you really want to be in bed. Like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of things that, you know, are not comfortable about farming. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. But for me, um, like a lot of my life growing up was not comfortable. And I learned to deal with that. So that hasn't really been an issue for me. It's like, I'm like, okay, you know, that has to be done. So I'm going to do it, whether I like it or not. 
Yeah, but I think that's a really amazing trait to have if you're going to be a business owner in any like any business, any time, especially in farming, is that you have to get comfortable with doing uncomfortable things. And like I know for me when I started my business, I was really scared about like reaching out to people, marketing and selling. Like I that was very intimidating to me, but I had to just be like, I really feel uncomfortable with this, but I just have to push through and do it. And that's what has made my business successful. So I think that's a trait that is mm-hmm. kind of positive if you're going to be a business owner. I agree. So, I also agree with the marketing one. That has been, that's, I would say that out of everything that I've done, that has been the hardest thing for me to do. I still wouldn't define myself as being awesome at it but I can do it. But yeah, that was like way out of my comfort zone. I lean very introverted, um, very much like I don't want to impose upon people. So that was like Mm -hmm. a hard hurdle, but that's still also one that I tell everyone. It's like, if you want a business, you have to learn it. Most people, it does not come naturally. You still got to do it. You have to just push through, push through your uncomfortableness and learn how to do it. Exactly. So what is your marketing approach for your business? So when I started out, I used Instagram purely as a marketing tool, um, Mm -hmm. like market local flowers. And that worked really well. But because I also was very interested in education, that started reaching larger amounts of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know this, a huge following is not what you want if you're primarily trying to sell local flowers because you're like the people over in like Connecticut, like that doesn't do anything. (laughs) So (laughs) you're like, you can't buy my ranunculus. No. So, (laughs) but my, but that the following kind of grew as I morphed into moving with a more of a focus on education. So in there, I started an email list. That's primarily now how I talk about local flowers, but again, I'm only doing the spring market. Mm -hmm. And um, in some ways, I still use my Instagram as a marketing tool because I'm selling tubers to the entire U.S. So it actually has more of a benefit that way because people can see what I do, what I grow, what varieties I have. So I would say that, you know, it's half Instagram, half email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that has been something that I have had to learn painstakingly over my business career is that I started out marketing on Instagram as well. And I am just very local. Like we don't ship flowers. We ship Dahlia tubers, but um, I just wanted to sell my flowers to my local market here in town and reaching those people on Instagram has been getting harder and harder for me because it's Mm -hmm. this global audience. And I have trouble just finding the people like in our area. Like I only want to target you. Um, I only want people in Rochester, New York, basically, unless you're going to drive from somewhere else to come buy your flowers. But it's getting more and more challenging to geographically target people on social media. I think it's easier to do maybe on like on Facebook or something, but yeah, um, I think it sort of, it sounds like it naturally morphed for you as you started doing more of the education stuff as well. It did. One, I don't, I don't love using paid ads on Instagram. Um, like just for like standard educational stuff. The only time that I've used them and I do find them helpful is 
like say marketing mother's day, which, you know, is a big day is, um, Mm -hmm. I'll make a post about it about three weeks before, and then I will run a paid ad, but you can limit the scope of who sees that ad. So I'll do that. It's like within 10 miles of where I live, because that is who I want. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the people that I want to see. I don't want, I don't care if, you know, people in Idaho see it or wherever. I just like, (laughs) 10 miles where I live, (laughs) this is where it is. So those are the ones, you know, that's where I find ads helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I understand what you're saying. And then too, it's like the other thing that I've told people is you mentioned, I don't know why this happens, but universally it seems to be true. You mentioned sale, selling, anything having to do that. People will see it three days after the event. I see those posts three days after they happen. I'm like, darn it. Usually like they're tuber (laughs) sales. I'm like, I need to... You know, would have bought some stuff. <laughs> I know. So I'm always like, post a solid week before you want to sell that, so it actually can get around to people. Yeah, seriously. And then the other piece of that, you mentioned your email list. So I have leaned into my email list like so much more than ever before because, but before mm-hmm. Instagram Reels and video, we used to have a ton of engagement on our social media on our Instagram. Like so many people would like mm-hmm. our stuff and interact and engage. And then when video came along, it was like a hard stop for me. Mm-hmm. And I was very <laughs> behind. Like I lagged so much on hopping on that video train, which I'm kicking myself for now because it's just like the way of the future. But because I had started an email list, that's like really saved my bacon. Um, mm-hmm. Now I primarily sell through my email list. So I'm glad that you mentioned that you also have an email list because I think it is an invaluable tool because it's you own those addresses yeah. and those names. So like you have a really large following on social media, but if like tomorrow it disappears, you still are protected because um, you have a way to sell your stuff and a way to reach people. Right. And I would say that that was honestly one of that's like, I still pinpoint that as my biggest mistake is that I didn't start an email list sooner. I started way (laughs) too late and I still like kick myself every week. I'm like, you should have started it right at the beginning. (laughs) And I didn't. Um, But I would, yeah, I would agree with you is like, you know, social media is great and it's fine, but you're still at the mercy of an algorithm. You're still at the mercy of the people who created that tool. So make sure that there's something that you own that you can directly reach people. Like don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So this is a PSA to everyone listening. Start Mm -hmm. your email list now. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to us. (laughs) Learn from our mistakes. Yeah. For real. Oh, man. I know. Yeah. Been a lot of mistakes on my end, (laughs) for sure. I mean, I think that's just growing, though, as a business. It's like everybody makes mistakes. Um, yeah. Like my husband, uh, he works at a startup. It's a profitable startup and they're growing exponentially, but he's been there almost since the beginning. And I'm like, you know, there's just, you know, there's just, mis- I mean, we're human. There's just things, yeah. you know, that you're like, look back and you're like, oh, well, when you've <laughs> never done it before, you've never done it before. So how would you know? Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So Galena, okay. when you are creating for Instagram, so I have to say, I'm super impressed with 
both the quality and the amount of content that you put out into the world. And so I'm curious, well, I have, I guess I'll save my, it's a two-part question. I'll save the other one for after, but um, how do you approach creating all this content? Do you batch create videos and reels and posts, or do you just kind of do it as like you're going along your day? Do you have a certain time of day when you post to social media? What does your content creation schedule look like? So I don't batch create. I know there's a lot of people out there who's like, you should just batch create. It will save you so much time. It doesn't work for me. I can't Mm -hmm. get my mind around creating that much content in a short amount of time. Um, What I will do is, and sometimes, and this like goes, it, it like ebbs and flows in how many I do, but sometimes I'm just going through a period where I just have lots of ideas and mm-hmm. I'll pull up my note app on my phone and I'll just jot them down in like a number format. It's like, do a reel like this, like digging Dahlia tubers, you know, show like which shots I need. It's like, you know, putting the pitchfork in, pulling it out, like, and I'll just have these random notes. And then um, when I don't feel super creative, I'll go through those and I'll pull one and create it. Um, but normally what I do, and because I'm pretty regular about it, I've gotten much quicker at it. Um, originally it would take probably an hour to form a reel and everything. And now I'm more around 20 minutes if I know what I'm going to do, um, as I just do it in the morning every day, if I'm going to do one, um, as a random note, Instagram I've noticed has changed recently and they've, um, they're prioritize. they're not prioritizing. Well, yeah, they're prioritizing videos less or maybe better way of putting is they're prioritizing videos and posts more equally. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm with you. Like when they started first, first push out reels, like static posts, just, you know, the reach was just gone practically. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed recently that the reach on static posts are way up, um, like mine. Um, but I've noticed this with other creators too. It's like you post mm-hmm. the right static post and it can go super far. I had actually one, I posted it twice um, in like a two month period, like the same pictures, but just in like different, you know, caption about what it was. Both mm-hmm. times it reached over 2 million people. Oh my goodness. For a static post. Like it That's was over 300,000 likes, which I like to me, I mean, like with like the world of reels and videos, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but then I've read more on like the, um, you know, the people who create Instagram and they said, yeah, we're like pulling back the reach on video. So you still can get a lot of reach with reels and stuff, but I just encourage people out there is like, start doing more of both because Mm -hmm. they're pushing static photos more. And honestly, that's just a relief to me because trying to stick out a video every day, (laughs) a lot. It's so much work. Honestly, it's like the ones that get reached are either ones that are super instructional, but then, you know, it's like you're hitting people who really want this info that you're putting out. 
super just inspiring or controversial. (laughs) (laughs) The controversial ones go far. (laughs) They do. They really do. But not all press is good press. Um, And Mm -hmm. I've had a few reels go viral. And I quickly realized that when they go viral, you're getting just as many people who hate what you're doing as who think it's cool. And it's a lot of negativity to try and deal with. So I'm Mm -hmm. totally fine if my videos just reach a normal amount of people, you know, people who care about gardening, not people, as you said earlier, you know, are just being like, you're destroying the environment because you plant tulips like annuals. I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Difference of opinion there. (laughs) So how do you deal with that negativity that comes with being popular on social media? The the more reasonable ones who just don't agree with me but aren't, like, flat-out abusive, I'll respond to in a respectful mm-hmm. way and just explain, like, this is how I do things. Um, if you're gardening, do it this way. If you want to save your tulips, try, you know. Sure, go for mm-hmm. it. I tried originally. I was like, of course they'll grow again. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then if people are really, uh, like, abusive, I'm like, I'm not going to stand for that in my life, and they'll get blocked. But those people are honestly few and far between. Like, most people are yeah. reasonable, at least. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, probably just aren't, don't have a full understanding of what you're doing or why you're doing it. Right. So, I mean, and I yeah. kind of get it, because I still remember before I ever did this, and I remember being like, well, why would you just throw out tulip bulbs? Like, of course they grow mm-hmm. again. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe an eighth of them might grow again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's right. a lot of wasted space for an eighth. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a food crop, you know? Yeah. So yeah. waste exactly. waste is a relative term. Yeah. <laughs> And it really depends a lot on context and what your goal is on whether it's actually wasteful or not. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say that the content you're putting out on Instagram is more for you to sort of help other people learn about gardening and farming and to kind of take a similar approach that you have turning their yards into gardens, or is it more for trying to do content creation with the marketing piece in mind to get your business name out there or a combination of both? I'd say it's a combination for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, I just record a lot of how I grow stuff and what I do. Um, I get it. And and sometimes like my content is just based off of what is the majority of questions I'm getting in like DMs on, you know, for example, like dividing dahlias. Like, mm-hmm. that's why I created that Dahlia dividing video was because it was like, how do you divide this? I'm like, okay, like, here's how I do it. I'll walk through. Um, sometimes it's based off of, like, recurring questions I see on Facebook groups about growing. Um, mm-hmm. Like like Dahlia storage, for example, which, as we both know, is very dependent on, on just where you are. Yeah. Um, so I try to address that because... 
you know, I have seen reels and it's like, this is the only way to do things. I'm like, eh, no, there's <laughs> never one only way to do things. No. It's people who are telling you that you need to run. <laughs> I know. Like, I think the one that annoy, annoys me the most, just because I've, I lost tubers originally, like way early doing this is a lot of people will say you have to cure your dahlias and let them dry out for like a solid week I'm like no you don't no I do it for 24 hours and mine are dehydrated <laughs> like it's I don't cure mine long. at all <laughs> I mine is like six hours because I well not anymore because I got to dig them all dig up the rest but usually my preference is dig them up wash them right away don't let them dry at all divide right away let those dry pack Ah, okay. That's interesting that I don't divide until springtime. I just don't have like the energy (laughs) to do it. I'm like, these just, mine, I find that mine store better in clumps rather than divided. So that just, this is the point that we're trying to make is there's not just one way to do it. But it's climate. It works for everyone. Yes. It's climate dependent. It's like, um, if I, I store all mine in a cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so too. yeah, so climate controlled, but we also have a very high humidity, mm-hmm. um, fall and winter. Like I'm not kidding. My, my cooler is at like 90% humidity the entire time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that way they're fine either in clumps or divided. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually 100% agree with you is that if you're in doubt, store them as unwashed clumps, they will do better. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have your storage dialed in, they'll just do a ton better that way. Yeah. So, But back to what you were saying is that you create content based on what people are asking you in your DMs or questions that you see on Facebook forums. That's a great way to serve whoever your audience is, is just mm-hmm. to see the questions that they're asking and answer them. And so for people who are trying to sell flowers, I'm always telling them like, what, what are your customers interested in? Like my customers mm-hmm. want to know how to make their flowers last longer and how to arrange some of the more unique cut flowers that we sell that you don't typically see like in the grocery store or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of content that we try to make. And so I think you're making a great point as to you're like answering your audience's questions and they really appreciate that because you're telling them what they want to know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I agree. It's like, I think that, well, figuring out what your goal of social media is, is the, the important thing to start out with and then just keep it within that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have it. Like this is something that I tell people. And again, this is personal preference. So I'm just going to caveat this and saying like, this is my approach, but it's also what I look for in people that I follow, um, is that I decided when I started my social media that I wanted to be about gardening and growing and, Mm -hmm. you know, market what I do as well with that. I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about my family. I didn't want to dive into social issues or politics or, Mm -hmm religion, um, like topics that are very controversial and that there's a lot of opinions on, which means Mm -hmm. that those take a lot of energy to engage on, which in my private life, like my community life, 100% fine with that. Like Mm -hmm. do it all the time. But, um, 
I also had to figure out how to make social media sustainable. And like, I spend eight to 10 hours a week answering people on DMs. Oh my gosh. Just about gardening, just about growing. Eight to 10 hours. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. That's a lot going on. (laughs) It is a lot. Yeah. Um, That, and yeah. And you know, I know we're going to get into profitability. I don't get paid to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so how much time do you think you spend overall on social media, like a week or like a day? Um, All right. A week is easier. I would probably say it's around 18 hours. Okay. A week or it's a lot. Yeah. And, but I, I, it's usually like, there's a, there's always a chunk in the morning. So I take about an hour in the morning to post, answer as many comments as I can answer DMS. And then it's like these five to 10 minutes throughout the day going on, um, answering people responding to some comments. So it doesn't feel like it's a huge amount, but then when I'm like looking at my and I don't spend a lot of time scrolling. Like I really don't like, yeah, you're engaging with people the yeah. whole time. Yeah. So, um, like sometimes I feel like it's a lot and then I'm like, well, but this is also part of my business. Like, mm-hmm. so, but I've had to reconsider that, you know, as my kids get older, you know, um, and like, just like my time allotments. So, Yeah. It's, well, do you think, sorry. No, it's just a nope. constant reevaluation of the balance. Mm-hmm. Like how much is healthy, like a work life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Work life balance is important and keeping your personal, some of your personal life completely separate from your business life. Yeah. Like just has to happen at some point, but I'm curious if you, so let's say you spend 18 to 20 hours a week on social media do you think that you see a return from that in your business? Like from the time, because that could be accounted for as time spent marketing your business. Do you think that you're seeing a return in like the money that you're making or the impact that you're having on the world through that time that you spend? Because if it is, then that's great, you know? Um, I definitely think like in term, you know, in purely objective terms, I see a return on reputation. Yeah. Um, and brand. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. so I 100% think that that is like the biggest return that I'm getting. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I'm not really a type of person to be like, oh, I'm so amazing. I'm so awesome. <laughs> but you so, are. <laughs> but, but purely, but purely objectively, um, I do get a lot of comments, a lot of DMs, a lot of messages on how grateful people are that I take the time to help them problem solve. And That's amazing. That, um, again, like this is not my norm to say this, but like I'm one of their favorite creators because I do that. So like the return mm-hmm. on the reputation, the return on like what I want, like really want to do, which is to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely want a profitable business, but I also really – like I said earlier, want people to find the joy of gardening. Um, so yeah, I don't feel like it's a waste. Um, yeah, you're clearly making an impact. 
it's just something I have to keep evaluating as my account grows because um, the DMs only get more as your account mm-hmm. grows. So, um, but I, the way I've solved that is I've just gone more to be like, okay, you know, I'm getting a lot of DMs on this. So instead of answering them all, I'm going to do a reel mm-hmm. on this, which is still answering everybody, but is not as much time as typing out like the same answer to everybody who's asking. Got it. Yeah. I mean, you're clearly making a huge impact on the world by helping so many people learn about all this stuff, which is so incredible. And is like making me feel like a little bit like, oh, maybe I should be doing more. (laughs) But I, so this is a question that I wanted to ask you because um, I want to know if you really like social media or like clearly you're making a huge impact and you're connecting with all these people and it's such an amazing thing that you get to touch all these people's lives and you get to help like um, clearly millions of people learn how to do stuff. Um, Do you feel like you really love doing that or does it sometimes take a toll on you mentally? Like for me, Instagram takes a toll on me mentally in a not so positive way. A lot of times Mm -hmm. there's a lot of positives that come with it. There's a lot of negatives and like finding a balance there. So like, do you feel that it's overall positive for you? I do. Um, I feel like that does come down to a lot to what I said earlier is that I've steered clear of controversial topics. I've steered clear of topics that will divide people like I'm Mm -hmm. trying to bring in unite people so I don't get a ton of the super negative stuff I have seen that on other people's accounts um no Mm -hmm. fault of their own and I think that would be super wearing um yeah like just dealing with certain like customer service emails when people are not happy like that is yeah not fun at all um Overall, I would say that I enjoy putting content out there, but um, to be honest, I try not to think at all about the follower account or how many people I'm reaching because that is the part that actually makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't ever want to be in a position where people revere me as kind of a celebrity or just Mm -hmm. like, you know this is the person who knows it all. We must do what she says. I I mean, I want people to do their own research and decide for themselves. And also I'm just a very normal person Mm -hmm. who is very passionate about what she does and puts a lot of love and care and quality into that. But I'm also just a human being. Mm -hmm. So that side of it, if I start to really think about it, that makes me feel a little like, Oh, um, that's such an interesting way to look at it. So, but I totally get that. Yeah. So, you're so humble. <laughs> I'm just normal. I'm just a human. <laughs> so, we're all just regular humans. <laughs> right. I know. So, I just try not to think about that. I focus on my goal, which is help people grow. Help people. Yeah. Whatever comes from that comes from that. Um, awesome. But I do honestly hope that people always view me as, like, no matter how my account grows or what I do, as a relatable person who is a human, you know, 
and not as like uh, like a celebrity type figure. Yeah. Um, well, it's certainly scary, like putting yourself out there. Like I think that's what holds a lot of business owners back from doing a lot publicly on social media. Um, me especially is that like being seen in a certain light, like you're saying, yeah. can be really scary and like frightening. And so I think it holds a lot of people back. Um, what would you say to someone who is like afraid to be seen online um, and just wants to put themselves out on social media more? Well, I would say that you can pick what they see. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is social media is curated. It's curated to what the creator <laughs> wants to show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't show 85% of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I don't ever show my kids. That's a huge right. part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge part of my day, more part of my day than farming most of the time. Yeah. Um, so I would just say that those are personal decisions that you can make um, mm-hmm. about what you show. Um, like back to like the controversial topics. I have political beliefs. I have religious beliefs. I have social issue beliefs. I don't ever share those. Right. So like, that's just an example of what I've chosen to keep private, um, for myself. So I would say like, you know, don't show the stuff you don't want to show, you know, put Mm -hmm. yourself out there as you feel comfortable, but you, you actually do have control of the narrative. And then to everybody following social media, remember that every creator has control of their narrative and this is curated. This is not everything about their life and nor should they have to share all of that. But just remember that when you're comparing that that's not their whole life. Yeah. That's not, they're not showing everything. Yeah. And not to fall into the comparison trap that we all fall right. into all the time. Right. That's a whole other, it's a whole yeah. other thing. <laughs> we all do. There's always a bigger fish. <laughs> yes. Always, always. It's so hard not to like feel bad about yourself when you're like comparing yourself to that, whoever else, but uh, yeah, we all fall into that trap. So try mm-hmm. not to. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm wondering if it's okay with you if we switch gears a little bit because sure, y- you and I were both talking to Morgan from Creekside Farm. Mm-hmm. This was like a couple months ago about profitability. And I just wanted to touch on this quickly on our talk because I think it is really important piece of the puzzle that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of before we were talking about how lots of people get into farming and gardening. And I want to talk more about the farming piece rather than mm-hmm. the gardening, like doing this as a business. And how, you know, there's a huge learning curve with growing flowers and learning how to farm. But then there's this whole other piece of being a business owner Uh and learning the marketing and the numbers and sales and making enough money where you can pay yourself something, hopefully Uh pay yourself like a decent living wage. And so here at Trademark Farmer, like that's our big thing is like, if you are going to have a flower farm business, like you need to be paying yourself um, and or at least have a plan to end up there within a, a short amount of time or any amount of time. Mm-hmm. You just need to have a plan to be profitable. Mm-hmm. So um, do you consider your farm to be profitable? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, and it's what, not only profitable, it's livable, which I yeah. define as two different things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, why don't you um, talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, just define it for anyone. Profitable is anything. If you pay all your expenses and you have a hundred dollars more than that, you're you're considered that's profit. So you're profitable. Technically profit. You could you live off of that? No. <laughs> so there's profitability, and then is can you live off of the profit that you had? Um. So this year, I'm both. Um. I we don't live off of it currently because I'm saving up to buy a bigger piece of property, which. Mm-hmm. In my location, property is very expensive, and we don't have a lot of ag agriculture leeways. Like it's pretty difficult mm-hmm. to get exemptions or you know that kind of stuff. Like farmland is not cheaper. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So, um, and you know, there's always going to be people saying it's like we'll move to a cheaper part of the country. I'm like. Anybody who lives anywhere knows that there's a lot more that goes into where you live than just the cost of the property. Like my husband and I both grew up here. My mm-hmm. kids have 20 cousins who live locally. It's really expensive to live here, but we're determined to make it work because family is important. So, you yeah. know, and all there's so many other facets that go into your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so currently my husband works full time. We live off of that. We could live off of the farm if we chose to. We're not choosing to now. So mm-hmm. caveat all there. Um, can you re-ask part of the question? Because I think I forgot part of it. I got into well, a little rabbit trail. <laughs> no, just the difference between profitability and making a living or right. paying yourself a livable wage, which you answered. So right. Um, and then, oh yeah, I would add like part of that too, um, which is always something to be considered is like, how quickly can you be profitable and livable? Are you hiring anybody? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of infrastructure are you doing? What kind of equipment are you buying? Like, for example, I don't even have the space to buy a tractor, which definitely makes my manual workload higher. It also is not an expense that I had to buy, you know? Right. Sometimes those constraints are blessings in disguise, though. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of times people start and they wish that they had all this land and they had all the all this infrastructure and tools. But a lot of times I could be sort of to people's detriment because they Mm -hmm. kind of rely on those things early on. But when you have those constraints like you have, it forces you to find creative ways to make it work. And you often are better off in that aspect. I agree. Although I still want a tractor when we move. I'm really tired of moving compost and mulch by wheelbarrow. Keeps me fit, but I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's great when you you do get one. It is. um, But... You know, a lot of us started out without one. Um, you know, I yeah. we always had a tractor from the beginning just because we, like, me and my husband both grew up on farms and we're, like, mm-hmm. farming people. Um, and my husband just, like, loves heavy equipment. He's, like, yeah. a hobbyist in that. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't have, like, a bucket for our tractor. We didn't have, like, any implements or anything. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of stuff by hand. But it just made us appreciate when we did get a bucket for the tractor. Like, we made... We appreciated that so much. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But that brings me back to what you were saying with you could live off the income from your farm, but you're choosing not to because you have bigger goals for your business. And I think that this is something a lot of people don't realize. 
I had a similar situation. The first like five or probably like four or five years of my business, like I was making money, but I was taking all of it and putting it back into the business. Like I could have kept it and paid myself more, but I didn't have um, a space on our farm to process flowers and I was doing it in our garage. So like a lot of people I think are, yeah. I don't know, where do you process your flowers? Do you have like a, my kitchen. a shed or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're doing it in your kitchen. I was doing it in my garage and I was like, if I need this to be a legitimate business, like I was hiring employees and they were like working in my house and my garage. And it got to the point where I was like, I need some work-life separation. Yeah. And so I wanted to build a barn and that was going to cost me a lot of money. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, and we did all the work ourselves and it was like at least $75,000. So I oh, was yeah. saving all that money for years so I could make that big investment in my farm. And I made that choice kind Mm -hmm. of like you're making that choice to sock that money away so you can make a bigger investment into your business in the future. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that we've talked about because um, anyone who stays on top of the real estate market knows that interest rates have shot up. They're crazy. So so bad. And we don't, (laughs) we bought our house at a time when interest rates were pretty low. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're like, Ugh. <laughs> like making that <laughs> jump. Yeah. Painful. Um, so we did talk a lot about is like, should we just stay where we are? Because mm-hmm. I can make um, a really good income off of just half an acre, which is also what I would tell people. You do not need a lot of land no. to make a good income if you're smart about what you grow. Mm-hmm. But um, our goals, like my goal has always been... I am fine with what I have, but if I had the possibility, there are so much more that I would want to do that I need more land to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was a decision that we made last year. You know, we really sat down, we talked about it, and we're like, no, we can move. So we're going to push for that instead yeah. of staying here. Um, but mm-hmm. for a long time, my expectation was that we would stay here. When we bought this house, we expected to stay here until we had completely raised our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, that's the other thing is like, be okay with your goals changing yes. and et cetera. Um, and, you know, I fully 100% admit that I'm in a, a situation that not everybody has where we're essentially a two income family and we live off of one and we're saving mm-hmm. the other and not everybody mm-hmm. has that you might be um purely farming and that is your income and you have to live off of that and save out of that for your next goal and that's going to take longer and, and just be okay with that because everybody's situation is different or where they find yeah. themselves everyone's situation is totally unique and so you can't just like do what someone else did in a lot of cases, but making like smart and strategic decisions can go a long way. And that aspect, yeah. like you just said, um, if you are smart about, I, I'm paraphrasing what you just said, but if you're smart about what you decide to grow, right, it can make a big difference. Like I'm always telling people like, don't grow everything. You don't need no. to grow everything. Like grow what a, makes you happy and your customers happy, but B, like what makes you money so you actually can like live off of this thing? Right. And, and so, analyze it. Um, yes. I recently did a business webinar and I was like, listen, 
you can't be a hobby and a business. You got to pick one because the approach is different. As mm-hmm. a hobbyist, totally fine if you grow a field full of bachelor buttons because you love them. Just do it. Go <laughs> yeah. for it. As a farmer, dumb idea. Don't Stupid. do it. <laughs> yeah. And there has to become a point where, yes, you still grow the flowers that you love, but you still have to, you have to prioritize the flowers that actually sell. Yes. And if there's so would, a flower that you love but doesn't sell, fine. Grow a very small amount for you. Yes. But otherwise, cut it. You are, like, preaching what I'm always saying. Yes. I'm so happy to hear you say this. I'm like, there are other farmers out there who believe oh, yeah. this. No. No, yeah. and I actually think that that is one of – and I know you're really good at this, too, but this is one of the things that has always been – one of my better traits. Some people might say it's not a good trait, but I think that generally it is, is that I can remove emotion from an equation and just Mm -hmm. look at it purely logically. Mm -hmm. So I could take an emotionally charged situation, just be like, this is just purely objective. We're just going to take this point by point. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not, I don't let emotion drive my business decisions at all. Yeah, which is great. And clearly that's what's made you successful. And I think that I've been the same way. Like I've said this story a million times, but at one point in the very beginning, because I had to learn all of this the hard way Mm -hmm. when I was growing like 75 different kinds of flowers, I had to sit down and I analyzed all of them. It was like, which ones are actually making me money. And now we grow like a fraction of what we did Mm -hmm. before. And it sounds like you are too. So you're really just focusing on spring cut flowers and then your dahlia tubers as far as like flowers go. And And I'll um, sell, I sell like buckets during the summer. Okay. Like for DIY weddings or farmer florists that I know, but that's it. I, Mm -hmm. um, and that still is mostly dahlias. Like it's cut dahlias. Because that's yeah. primarily what I'm growing now. Right. Um, so what about for your spring flowers? Are you doing mostly ranunculus? Um, or yeah, are you doing tulips, ranunculus, anemones? I'm doing tulips and ranunculus. Um, a small amount of anemones. My primary focus is ranunculus and tulips. Mm-hmm. And then I have about 200 peonies that, you know, I'll throw in there. Okay. And then I have a lot of, because we're pretty a mild climate Mm -hmm. I have like a a lot of hardy annuals that just grow really well here without protection so I sow all those through my borders um I can overwinter snapdragons really well here so I throw in those but I usually I keep it pretty simple people are always asking it's like well what fillers can I like pair with ranunculus and tulips I'm like ranunculus and tulips you don't, you don't honestly, Same. if you, if you have a spike flower that does really well where you live, do that too. But mm-hmm. people love spring flowers. You do not need it to be really complicated. Right. The simpler, the better for my business. And it sounds like you kind of take that approach too. like mm-hmm. simple, easy. Like we don't grow any fillers or any foliages in early spring because we can just sell bunches of those spring flowers and people yeah. don't, they don't care because they're so beautiful. <laughs> I know. exactly. And everybody's yeah. so tired of winter, myself included. Like I, yeah. I don't buy cut flowers because I'm a cut flower grower. 
I have bought cut flowers in early spring because somebody had them because they had a high tunnel and I'm just like so tired of gray. <laughs> it needs some kind of color in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you go through, um, did you just kind of look at your numbers and analyze stuff to decide on what to grow or did you look at demand or a combination of all those things? Combination. Um, mm-hmm. I knew Dahlia tubers were in high demand. Um, and that was Dahlia tubers were in high demand and they command a good market rate. So mm-hmm. that was primarily the, the decision of why I pushed into those. Um, and then spring flowers, there was a little bit of emotion in that decision because spring is my favorite <laughs> season, mm-hmm. but sp- the spring flower market always sells really well here. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a hard market to market for. Um, right. And it's, and it's short. It's like April, May, a little bit into June mm-hmm. and you're done. So, um, the Dahlia tubers was definitely, um, a decision of, you know, a numbers game, like realizing, I mean, it's a lot of manual work as you know, but yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a it's a very profitable crop if you do it well, mm-hmm. um, and there's a market for it because they've had a you know a huge resurgence in popularity in the last six years. Also, I'm yep. nerdy enough to go and look on Google Trends. <laughs> <laughs> yep, see what's so, trending. <laughs> well, yeah, but dahlia tubers are still trending up after five mm-hmm. years. Like they're still which is crazy, right? They're still getting more searches every year. So. You know, do I think that it's, you know, eventually the market will become more saturated? Yeah, probably. I still think it's a good long ways away. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of people who started doing tubers and have quit because they didn't realize how much manual work it is. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's that aspect, too, is that there's a big demand for it. But not everybody wants that job. Yeah, I have to admit it is sort of a miserable job at times. That yeah. digging and washing, washing particularly, just not the most fun job in the world. No, <laughs> no, but yeah, I think my least favorite is I like dividing, but I don't like dividing when you're right in the middle of dividing and you're not like you're not like between like the forty percent and the sixty percent. <laughs> <laughs> When your eyes are starting to cross because right. you're just staring at brown potatoes. Right. And you're not really close to the finish line. You're kind of just in the middle and you're like, Ugh. Yeah. Yep. I like dividing them too. Like I just put on like podcasts and stuff in the winter and it's just like I'm by myself and just chill. And yeah, it's so there are nice aspects of it. But but I'm super impressed because like when I I grew up farming, but not flower farming. And then I didn't really know anything about flower farming when I started. And uh, I mean, I guess nobody really does, but I just thought you had to grow so many, all these different things and have like these big, huge bouquets with all these ingredients. And I really, it took me a long time to figure out that I don't need to do that. And I can have a Mm -hmm. much more successful business just focusing. And I'm just super impressed with you because it seems like out of the gate, you already kind of had an idea of the marketplace and what you wanted to do and what you were going to focus on. And so I think that's incredibly impressive. And anybody who's starting their own business could learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I have to give credit to my husband here because um, I forget what year it was, but he was looking over my shoulder as I was attempting to click really, really fast to get a certain dahlia in a sale. And he was just kind of watching dumbfounded as they sold out in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why aren't you doing this? I'm like, well, like I've run all the numbers <laughs> and I know that I could make this much, but it's also a lot of work and it's just me. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. you need to do this. Like you need to, like we can make this work. So he, I, <laughs> I had all the numbers and everything, but I also knew the hours that had to go into it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you should, you, I mean, and so he pushed me to analyze more things like the summer cut flower market, not mm-hmm. worth it for the time I was putting into it. Right. So really like, so he helped push me into like narrowing it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're a really good team that way. Yeah, that's great. So your husband made you do it basically. <laughs> a little bit. He, has so made, he made me do it initially, like push me into um, learning it. Um, but if you asked him, he wouldn't take credit for it at all. He'd be like, no, Galena did it all. But he was the person who like, I had all the information and he kind of just gave me the nudge through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he pushed you down the stairwell. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So do you, do you have any employees or do you do all of it yourself? No. Um, I have one who comes in but this is fairly recent. She just comes for a couple hours um, most weeks to help weed. Okay. But, so but that's leader. like in like the last three months mm-hmm. that that okay. happened. Um, that is one of my one goal for next year. And um, I have somebody lined up to train who's very interested because it's mostly like the dahlias. Um, mm-hmm. I need yeah. to find someone to train to help divide. Yeah. Um, so that's on my bucket list for 2024. Got it. So well, I wish you the best of luck with that. It's it's really nice to have help. There's lots of challenges that come with it, but it's also yeah. really nice. They help you grow. So I know it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you have lots of Dally tubers that you still have to dig up and all that <laughs> other stuff you're working on, but um, I just want to ask you one more question. What would be your best piece of advice to people who are just starting out their flower farm business or if they're trying to figure out a way to make it work? Right. Okay. I have a couple. Write down a goal that you think is achievable to reach in a year. Push it a little bit. Don't make it like super simple. Like I want to make a hundred dollars. Push it a little <laughs> bit. Write out a very simple five-step plan on how you think that you can achieve that. You know, like say it's like I want to sell on an average 10 bouquets a week. Like write out like the things that you would have to do, like marketing, you know. I need to mm-hmm. I need to find 10 customers and how you're going to do that. And then my second one, which not everybody will agree with, but I think is more important when you're first starting out is be – reluctant to go into debt until you are very sure of your path forward and your niche and you have an almost 80% certainty that the debt that you would take on would pay off. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I do see people jumping in way too quickly, taking on all this debt without having really proven that they can, that, that their, their plan will work. Mm -hmm. Um, also when you take on a lot of debt, that is stress that you are adding to your life because that is money that has to be paid. So I would just say, if you're in your first year, you don't need as much equipment as you think you do. I have gotten through all of my farming without ever using a tractor. You do not like, yes, it's nice, but you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need to grow as many flowers as you think. I'm kind of with you. I recommend at the most 10 Mm -hmm. and a lot of those trial two to three more each year to see if you want to throw them in the lineup, but do them in small amounts. Like two to three should fit into one bed at most. And I'm thinking like not a big long row. I'm thinking like 40 square feet. (laughs) (laughs) Just a small little. Yeah. (laughs) I always trial stuff that interests me, but I do them in like amounts like for me, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, keep it simple until you know where you're going and then add on as you feel like it would pay off and, and keep track. I mean, if if you live in like you know California where you'd have to pre-chill all your tulip bulbs don't grow tulips grow yeah. something else you know or if you live in you know some place where there's a giant tulip field and people just go and they can cut tulips for 50 cents a stem don't sell tulips <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard market to compete with Mm-hmm. You know, pick a different flower, like figure out your market, know what is around you. Yeah. So I think that those are all amazing pieces of advice. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I highly urge anybody listening to listen to those pieces of advice, um, especially the debt thing. You don't need to take on a lot of debt to start your farm. You don't need a lot of anything really to get no. started. So. Yeah. Most of us didn't even get coolers until like year three. Right. Yeah. No, we, I didn't have a so, cooler for the first couple of years either. I yeah, got you just one, make it work. I got one last summer. Oh, was and that, so your first cooler was last summer? Mm-hmm. Nice. And it, and it was great, but I also managed just fine without it mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're not... a slightly more stress. <laughs> during <laughs> it yeah. was fine I did not need it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's when you're not growing a lot of summer flowers I think that you it, you can't get away without it for a while yeah but, you can't yeah, all depends on what you're unless doing. you're growing a ton of tulips then yeah if you're growing tulips on, like, I'd I, get one please do <laughs> not grow more than 3,000 tulips unless you have a cooler like just yeah. or a really good market like you know you can just push those immediately it's it's, it's so hard. It's to, stressful. It is. It I don't is. think people yeah. realize how time intensive tulips are when you have to go out and pull them five times a day because they're ready. Yep. I, everyone on our farm, we're like, a really, <laughs> we grow a really small amount of tulips, but I don't, I don't think we're going to grow them anymore because everyone who works for me is like, we hate pulling tulips. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. I think we won't do it anymore. (laughs) I think this one might be my last, well, not my last year forever, but my last year for a while. 
Mm -hmm. um, until I can get a better team of employees because tulip pulling time is right around Dahlia tuber shipping time. Yeah. And I was, I barely survived this past April and now I'll be shipping out four times as many. So I'm like, Ugh. yeah, like, that's a lot. but the tulips were already ordered. So they're already planted. So. <laughs> you just got to make it through next season and then you'll figure out. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. It will be yeah. fine. You know, as, as we both know, if you don't sell the flowers, you at least got product shots out of it. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just put those flowers to good use. Right. Oh. Awesome. Well, Galena, I'm I'm so glad that we got to chat. And um, if there's anything else you want to leave us, we're happy to hear it. But I know you've got a lot of work to do. So I think that this is probably going to be goodbye for us for a little while. So thanks for Sounds coming good. on the show. I really appreciate chatting with you. It's always fun to chat with you. And just really admire your business savviness and uh, your heart and your willingness to help and put so much amazing information and everything out into the world. So everyone really appreciates what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, we will see everyone later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Six Figure Flower Farming Podcast. Quick question for you before you go. Have you been doing crop planning for the 2024 season? If so, I have a free mini course available right now all about profitable crop planning. It's available for a limited time right now on the Trademark Farmer website. Your crop plan should be based on your financial goals, not just how many flowers you think you should grow. Avoid losing money with overproduction and learn how to grow just the right amount of flowers so you can earn the money you want from your sales outlets with this free step-by-step -step mini course. You can sign up for free now at www.trademarkfarmer.com forward slash profit planning 101. And again, that's trademarkfarmer.com forward slash profit planning 101. But remember, it's only available for a limited time. So head over soon if you want to take the course. There's also a boatload of free resources, guides and how to's over on the Trademark Farmer website. So head on over to trademarkfarmer.com and I'll see you in the next episode of the Six Figure Flower Farming Podcast.